0: Exodus chapter number four, I'm going to spend the next, um, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be three days today and the next two days here in the book of Esther, I said e- Exodus, Esther, uh, just pardon me, just translate, okay, I couldn't think of it in English. English is the only language I know, but it sounds like a great excuse in missions conference, all right? <laughs> the book of Esther is, is an unusual book when it comes to um, missions, because dare I say, when I said turn to the book of Esther, some of you said, Man, where is he going? Does he remember that this is missions conference? But I hope that you'll see after these next few days that after you move back from Exodus and get back to the book of Esther, you'll see how <clears throat> Esther is really full about our responsibility of getting the good news of Jesus Christ out to a lost and dying world. So let me just back up, give you the, the synopsis of the story. I think you remember it well, so we're not spend a lot of time on this, but... I'm going to start in a moment in chapter 4, verse number 10. But if you want to look down through the book of Esther here, it's really, it's an amazing story from Scripture. King Ahasuerus, he puts together a feast and he is going to uh, invite Vashti to come and stand before all of the guests. And she refuses to come. Well, as a result, the king dethrones Vashti, and uh, now he's going to come up with a new plan. So you'll remember how all of this went. And finally, through God's providence, the working of God, the sovereign hand of God, Esther is chosen as the new queen. It's in chapter number two that we're introduced to Mordecai, um, and we're told about how Esther was adopted by Mordecai, her cousin, because she lost both of her parents. Um, it's also in chapter 2 and in verse number 10, even though Esther is a Jew, Mordecai says it's not time right now to reveal that truth. And she says, he says to keep that under wraps for the moment and God will make it plain when that's to come to the surface and when that's to be announced. And you remember the story. Uh, it's an amazing thing how God brings all of that to be. So, Another interesting thing that happens in chapter two, right towards the end, Mordecai really saves the king's life because he reveals a conspiracy that there is against the king. And uh, they investigate it, find it out to be true. And that kind of seems to be the end of it at that moment in time. But later, God uses that. Now, in every good story, there's got to be the bad guy that you love to hate, right? Okay? I mean, without that, they're just not the same, you know. Uh, story line that that speaks to us and Haman is introduced to us in chapter number three he is if you will the bad guy and um, he he's very proud the king says everybody's to bow to him and you'll remember Mordecai is the one who will not bow to Haman and as a result Haman says, You know what? I'm going to destroy not only Haman, or not only Mordecai, but I'm going to destroy all of the Jews as well. And he carries out this plan, takes it to the king. It's put into motion. And um, wow, the city is stunned. Mordecai is stunned. And Mordecai and all the Jews, they mourn because of this decree that has been uh, put forth to uh, destroy them. And Mordecai then charges. She, he challenges Esther to go before the king and intercede for the Jews. Now, that finally brings us to our text for today Exodus chapter 4, or Exodus. I'm going to be in Exodus later on. Esther chapter no, number 4, and I want to begin reading in verse number 10. Again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai All the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know that. Whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself, that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews.' And verse 14 is probably the most well-known verse in the book of Esther. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Esther. And thank you for how you worked in her life and more so in the affairs of the world at that time. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help me now. Please, God, fill me with your spirit. Lord, would you just clear my mind and my heart of anything that would be distracting? Would you cleanse me of sin? And Lord, would you empty me of myself and make me a vessel that is fit for your service? Lord, please fill me, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, I pray that every listener who knows you as their Savior, that they also would be Spirit-filled even in their listening. And Lord, help us today to not only be hearers, but Lord, help us to be doers as well. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to put yourself in Esther's place if you received this Challenge from Mordecai. How would you respond? What would you do? Knowing the situation, knowing the if you will the perfect storm that has been put together here by the enemy, um, I, I think about Esther. She she expresses her fear, and that's to be expected. Really, she explains in verse number eleven that whoever comes into the king unannounced and within without an invitation, that person. That person would die. They would be killed. She said, now listen, she said there's only one exception to that. In verse 11, she says, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter. But then she adds this to Mordecai, just so Mordecai really understands the situation that is at hand. She says that she's not been called to come into the king these days. 30 days. So it's been 30 days, Mordecai, Esther says, since I've been called in to come to the king. And, you know, I think that Esther's probably in her mind trying to figure out why it's been 30 days. Perhaps she's thinking, well, maybe it's something that I said to the king and he he didn't like what I said or he didn't like how I said it. And maybe I didn't serve him in the way he wanted. Maybe, maybe this king is a bit eccentric and maybe there's something else going on and he doesn't want to see me at all. So I'm probably the last person that should be going into the king and just unannounced walking in and saying, king, I need to talk to you. So she explains this, explains her fear to Mordecai and Mordecai then gives the answer and he reminds her in verse 13 that remember you are a Jew and you will not escape death if this thing goes on, if this thing continues. He says, though, in verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time. Esther, if you keep your mouth closed, if you do not speak out, if you do not do what needs to be done, he says, Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. I love this part because Mordecai is saying, Esther, listen, God is giving you an amazing opportunity to step up to the plate, to do what needs to be done. And just know that if you don't, God will provide someone else. God will provide another way because God is God. But he says, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And then he leaves her with this question. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, as we think about how this applies to you and I and how it applies to missions, I want to remind you, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. There is a curse, if you will, a decree, just as the decree went out to see all of the Jews destroyed, so also sin has done the same thing to the world in which we live. And death is the result of that decree that has gone forth. So what does that mean for you and I? How does that apply to you and I? Well, I'm going to just a little different than my norm here. This is what I want to do this morning. I want to give you three truths that I see here from the book of Esther and how it applies to missions. And then with those three truths, I want to end my message with three questions that connect to these three truths. So here is truth number one. I want you to see here the impossible circumstances that are taking place. The impossible circumstances that are taking place. This is a, an impossible situation that Esther finds herself. It is obviously less than convenient, all that's taking place here. She explains again, verse 11, that whosoever man, whether man or woman, shall come into the king and into the inner court who is not called. There is one law to put him to death. She's saying, hey, this is really a life and death situation. I want to remind you today, and you already know this, that the circumstances of our world today, humanly speaking, make it impossible for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now remember, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. But look at the things that are going on in the world around us. Some of you follow the news. Some of you don't really. But I'll tell you what, if you turn on the news, as was mentioned this morning, even for five minutes, you get the, the, the uh, picture that Satan is at work. And there's much evil in our world today. Even COVID keeps coming up and we're this far past it and all of the ramifications of it. And we're just kind of waiting for the next variant to come along. We may go through this again. Who knows? We think about inflation and how that's happening. By the way, that's not just something that is just here in the United States. That is a worldwide thing that all missionaries that I know are facing even now. We think about politics. And boy, we're going to hear more about politics as we get closer to the election. And I've heard enough already to last me a lifetime. And we wonder how all of that is, how is all of that going to come together? We think about the world government's. Hey, we think about war. Have you heard enough about war recently? It's been amazing, all that's going on around the world. And as I think about Israel, kind of right in the center of all of that, and I think about prophecy, and I think about the fact that, oh, the Lord's coming must be so soon. I don't know when it is. I'm not kind of trying to set any kind of dates, but I'm looking for the Lord's return at any time because of all the things that I see in the world around me. But I want to remind you, not only do we see in the life of Esther, this situation that she finds herself in. But even as you think about the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11, the hall of faith and the men and women of faith there, they also faced the same thing. I thought about Noah. Remember the world in which he lived? It was not a convenient time for him to be a preacher of righteousness. But nonetheless, God called him and he obeyed. I thought about Abraham. Hey, again, the world was not a convenient place for him to pack up everything and go to where God had called him to go. But being a man of faith, and Sarah, a woman of faith, they went. I thought about Joseph. You think about all the different situations that he found himself in. Situations that he could have said, hey, this is it. I'm giving up. Forget this. But no, being a man of faith, he says, I'm going to do what God would have me to do. Thought about Moses. You talk about politics. The son of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's Uh, daughter had found him and raised him there. He knew what it was to be in the palace, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. thought about Daniel, who could have said, you know what, rather than opening my window and praying as I've always done, I'm going to close my window, I'm going to hide here. No, Daniel said, I'm going to honor the Lord, I'm going to do what's right. And yes, he faced the lions, an impossible circumstance, but God moved, God was in control, Daniel, being a man of faith, said, despite the circumstances that are going on around me, the impossible situation that I find, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Young people, do you find your circumstances inconvenient? (laughs) Does it feel impossible? Sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes you might be thinking about the next test coming up in the next class, and you say, boy, that sounds impossible. Well, just wait. There's more tests in life to come. And a lot of those tests, by the way, are not graded on a piece of paper. They're tests that God will send your way. And those circumstances that you will meet in life, those are tests. And will you step up to the plate like Esther? Will you step up to the plate like these other men and women of faith that we have mentioned and say, you know what, despite the impossible circumstances, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. So truth number one, let's notice here the impossible circumstances that are taking place. Here's another truth. The infinite power of God. God is at work all throughout the book of Esther. It's an amazing thing to see God bringing all the pieces of the puzzle together. And I want to remind us of a simple truth this morning. God is an all-powerful God. And I want you to realize that because God is an all-powerful God, guess what? He does not need you and he does not need me to accomplish the Great Commission. Now, you see, Brother Snyder, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. I thought, you know, you want people for BIMI and all these other folks that are here. They want folks to to be able to help them with missions. Now, listen, God does not need you. God does not need me. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. By the way, he owns the gold that's in the hills and he owns the hills as well. In the book of Psalms, God says, hey, if I needed something, I'm not going to tell you about it. God is an all-sufficient, all-powerful God. He does not need us. So I don't want to give you the impression this morning that God's in heaven this morning. He's looking over the portal of heaven, and he's looking at Ambassador Baptist College, and he's wringing his hands wondering, oh, are we going to have enough people surrender to missions? Because I don't know what I'm going to do if they don't. Not our God. God's going to bring deliverance from another place if he needs to. Here's the point. God doesn't need us, but God has chosen to use us. And what an amazing privilege it is to be involved in missions, to be in the center of God's will, to do what God calls us to do regardless of the circumstances that are around us. You say, well, you know, I I see all that's going on. I don't qualify to be a missionary. Can I remind you this morning? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Listen for God's call. Whatever it is God says to do, wherever you fit in missions, get in that spot. Be one of those laborers that there is such a need for in our day and time. God has put us in a very privileged position I don't know if you realize how privileged you are to be where you are today. I'm telling you. There are places in the world that I have been young people that I have been with. Some I've been only been able to talk to through a translator. But they would give their eye tooth to sit where you're sitting right now. And they would look at you and they would say, you are rich. And you say, not me. I'm a poor college student. But compared to them, they would be right. God has blessed you in an amazing way. God does not need you, but he's put you in a privileged position and says, hey, I want to use you. And I don't know about you, but whatever God wants for me and however God wants to use me, that's where I want to be. Oh, dear friends, understand God's not calling us into his service because he just needs us. No, he's privileging us with the responsibility of yoking up with him, being laborers together with God to accomplish something that we cannot accomplish in and of ourselves, but something that God desires to do through us. So the infinite power of God. Here's the third truth that I want you to see. The immediate response that was needed and the immediate response that is needed. God is calling us Now, Um, you know, Mordecai says in verse 14, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He's saying the time is now. Esther, you don't have a year to sit back and think about this and decide whether or not you're going to do it. The time to respond is now. And when it comes to missions, so also the time to respond is now. There are over 8 billion people in our world today. And that is growing by the day. We don't have time to sit around and say, well, maybe after about 10 years of experience in the ministry, maybe then I'll think about surrendering and doing whatever it is God would call me to do. At least I'll be in the ministry. No, listen, if God is calling you today to be a laborer in his harvest field, you need to surrender today to be a harvester, to be a laborer in his harvest field. We're not to put this off. We're living in a day with 8 billion people in the world today. We're living in a day with a, a lot of people who are dying and going into eternity. Even while we're here, I look this up and this is interesting to me. The statistics say that there are 1.78 people that are dying every second. I haven't figured out what a 0.78 people is yet, okay? So if you'll just allow me, I'm going to round that up. Basically, two people are dying in our world today every second. Do you realize what that means? Just stop and think about that for a moment. If you just count off, let's just say five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Do you understand that ten people just now went out into eternity? Do they know Jesus Christ? Well, you know, the Bible says that broad is the road that leads to destruction, so I would dare say that the greatest majority of those ten have just slipped into a place of fire and brimstone. Folks, this is serious business that we're talking about. We don't have time to just sit around and wait. We need to respond when God calls us. We need to respond at that time. The fields are white unto harvest, Dare I say you will hear that over and over again this week and that's good for us to hear over and over again because indeed the fields are white unto harvest. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 35, Say not ye there yet four months and then cometh harvest? In other words, can we just wait a little while? No, Jesus said we don't have time to wait. He says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Why? For they're white already unto harvest. The time is now. Not a year from now, not two years from now. The time is now. Why is now such a good time? Well, for all the reasons that I've just mentioned, but can I just throw out another thought or two here? Number one, do you realize we are living in some amazing days when it comes to missions? And I'm going to say this this way, and I don't mean anything negative by it, but missions is easier today than it has ever been. Because of the technology that we have. Listen, missionaries 100 years ago and more, they would literally pack their coffin with their supplies. They would get on a ship and they would spend months on a ship to get to where God called them. They would unpack that coffin and keep it because their plan was, hey, I'm going to die here and I may never get home again. Missions allows us to get just about anywhere in the world in about a day or maybe a day and a half or with airlines nowadays, maybe two days. (laughs) But that's a whole lot better than months on a ship to get there and figuring maybe I'll never come back. Hey, furloughs are easier now than they've ever been with the transportation that we have. We have technology (laughs) that you can, as you go to the field, you can see your parents and your family on the computer screen and speak to them. Missionaries from 100 years ago would have never believed that something like that would even be possible. But today, we have it easy. But here's the sad thought. As I've been involved in missions over 30 years, and many of these missions representatives that are here, they've been involved in it at least that long and some many more. As we have watched... We started deputation 33, almost 34 years ago. And when we would go to a missions conference, we would see young people during that conference that would surrender their lives to be full-time missionaries. And it would be unusual to have a missions conference and not have at least one person who would come and publicly say, I believe God's calling me to be a missionary. But I will tell you that over the last 30 plus years, things have changed in missions conferences now. If even one person will come and say, God's calling me to missions, or I think maybe God's calling me to missions, if even one comes, now that is the unusual. That's the wrong direction. The need is greater now than it was 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago because of the population we have, because of the people that are dying and going to hell. And missions is easier now than it ever has been. However, the laborers, I believe, are fewer than they ever have been. And I believe God is calling so many to full-time missions, but they're just not listening. Sometimes the excuse comes up, well, the world being the way it is, I don't know if I can travel, Or, I don't know that I'm qualified. Hey, listen, we've already talked about all those things. Oh, dear friend, I think sometimes God's calling, but we're just so busy and we've got so much technology going in our heads, we're not even hearing the Lord. I'm afraid sometimes we do hear the Lord, but, well, Lord, that's great, but I'll get to that later. And our point is, no, later doesn't work. Now is the time when God calls, we need to respond immediately when He calls. And let me add this one last thing to this thought. The time is short. I, again, I'm not going to try and <clears throat> set any dates as to when I think the Lord's coming back, but all I can say is it's closer now today than it was yesterday I don't know when he's coming, but I'm expecting him any time now. You say, Well, Brother Snyder, I've been hearing preachers say that all my life. You know what? That's okay, because even Peter said, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. If Peter could believe that the Lord might come back in his lifetime, it's okay for me to believe he might come back in my lifetime. And I'm expecting him, I'm ready. Colossians, Paul says, chapter 4, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Why? Because we have very little time. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't the Lord come back yet? It's all in the context there of where Peter says that in 2 Peter 3, verse number 9 because the Lord's long-suffering, He's just given one more day, if you will, for folks to come to a saving knowledge of Himself. And He's given you and I one more day to go out and tell them about how they can receive Christ and how they can be saved so that they they do not need to perish. Oh, dear friends, these truths that we see in the book of Esther, they are true in our day and time right now. So, With these three truths that I've given you, here are three questions that I want to leave you with today. Here is question number one. As we consider the impossible circumstances that we find ourselves in and that Esther found herself in, do we have a willing mind? You know, sometimes we try and think it all through and, well, if, if once I get the answer to this and once I get the answer to that and once I get this all figured out, well, then, OK, then maybe I'll, I'll surrender. We'll get all that. No, no. Listen. Yes. Circumstances look bleak, humanly speaking. But I'll remind you now, I'll remind you later, God is still on the throne and God is just expecting you and I to say, Lord, I see what's happening. Lord, I see that this is impossible for me to do. But Lord, I'm going to trust you. And Lord, I have a willing mind to do whatever it is you want me to do. You know, sometimes we say, well, I don't know about tomorrow. No, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow. This life is just a vapor. It's here now and it's gone so quickly if you would, turn with me to the book of Romans. I know you know these verses, but I, I just want you to look at them in the context of where we are. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this in verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be worried by the things that are going on in this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and in your mind say, God, I'm willing. I want to know your good and your perfect will for my life and Lord, whatever it is, I'm going to trust you with it and I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm going to accept the challenge and I'm going to do whatever it is you ask of me even though I don't know what tomorrow holds. Are we willing to just say, Lord, whatever it is you want? Dare I say, as we mentioned before, Noah Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, those guys didn't know what was going to happen. Even the next day, let alone six months or a year from then. But they said, you know, Lord, we're willing. Whatever it is you have, Lord, I'm willing to do it. So despite the impossible circumstances, do we have a willing mind? Number two, when we think about the infinite power of God... And the fact that God does not need us. Here's the second question. Are we willing to prove the sincerity of our love? You know, it's easy to sit in Bible college and say, yeah, I love the Lord. That's why I'm here. (claps) Saying it with our mouth is one thing, but proving it with our lives can be a completely different thing. You know, God gives us the opportunity to prove the sincerity of our love. How? With our actions. Are we willing to show him with our lives Lord, I love you. Knowing all the while that it's not us who's going to get the job done, it's God who's going to do the work. Romans chapter 12, there look at verse number three. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Hey, there's not one of us who can say, whoo boy, glad God has me. If God didn't have me, the Great Commission would stop right here. No, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. We're to understand we're where we are because of the grace of God. Not because God needs us, but because God's privileging us with the opportunity to say, Here am I. Send me. Find where you fit. It's interesting, the whole context after this of Romans 12 talks about the different places within the body of Christ and how God uses all of us in different places in different ways. And we need to find that place, get plugged in and say, God, I know you don't need me, but thank you for using me. And then that third and final question for today is this. As we think about the immediate response that's needed. Are we willing? to give ourselves to him completely today, right now. Maybe you say, yeah, I've done that before. Be a good idea to just say again, Lord, again, I'm presenting myself to you. As you begin, as we begin this missions conference this week, great way to start. Say, Lord, I, I, I don't understand all the details of everything you have for me, but Lord, here am I i right now, Lord, I am responding to whatever it is you want for me. You know, a lot of times, you know, the question comes up, well, is, is God in control of this world? All the things that are happening, you know, the wars and the rumors of wars and the famines and the diseases and this and that. Is God really in control? Again, I remind you, yes, God is in control. He never got off his throne, nor will he. God is in control, but the question that we should be asking is not, is God in control of this world? Here's the question, is God in control of my life? Does God have complete control of me? And really that brings us back to Romans chapter 12, and verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which Paul says, by the way, is just our reasonable service. It starts with, Lord, here am I. I'm giving myself to you anew and afresh right now to be used of you as a living sacrifice. Let me one more time read Esther chapter 4 and verse number 14 and we'll be done. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement And deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou? She was the person. Art come to the kingdom. She was in the place that God had for her. For such a time as this, the time was now. You and I, we are the people. We are in the place that God has for us and now is the time to respond to Him.